We stand in reference as we read scriptures this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Listen for the Gospel. After Jesus had spoken these words, He looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son so that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the word of God for the people of God. So we've been looking at these images of Jesus over these last several weeks. This is part six out of seven. We've been reading from the Gospel of John primarily. This morning, chapter 17 turns to Jesus praying. So this is an image of Jesus praying and us praying with Jesus. He's been telling them the end is coming. My time with you is not long. He's not talking about the end of the world, but the time they have together as a community of faith where they've been traveling around together. In verse 1, you hear it pretty clearly. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come, or the time is now. Then in verse 11 also, and now... I am no longer in the world. Jesus is clear that his time is short, but it's hard to grasp this idea that something we have enjoyed, like traveling with Jesus, healing, teaching, giving people hope, feeding the masses, both physically and spiritually, is coming to an end. But it's not just hard for them to grasp that. We all struggle with that. When change comes, we resist, we grieve, sometimes we fight back. Change is the way of the world, though. Just in this season, we have three pastors that are getting ready to go in different directions and lead churches and other places. New adventures, new directions. We have two pastors who are preparing to come and join us. Change is a part of life, not just for United Methodist pastors, but for all of us. We have these graduating seniors that are with us this morning. They're facing changes. 
leaving one school, going to another, or leaving school and going to work, many of them moving to live in different places, maybe different cities, maybe different states. Change is all around us. And if we can't see it in other people's lives, we have their own experiences of injury or illness where we know things are not the same. I'm in several weeks of physical therapy right now because I hurt my left shoulder a few weeks ago. I gave it a few weeks thinking it would heal. It seemed like it always did when I was younger. But you know what? It's still sore. It still hurts. And if I get in the wrong position, pain shoots down my arm. So now I'm going to physical therapy. Every time I'm there and the therapist stretches it and I feel the pain, I'm reminded change is happening to all of us. Our bodies remind us of that over and over as we age. I think life will be less stressful and easier to navigate once we grasp that change is indeed a part of life. Back in chapter 13, Jesus began to talk to the disciples. You remember, this is at dinner the last night he is with them. And in chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, he's been talking about and helping them prepare that there's a change coming. Get ready. It's not going to continue the way it has been for all of us. Then Jesus shifts from teaching to prayer. There's four themes or four categories I want us to look at that he lays out. If you read through this long prayer in chapter 17, I've put them in your outline. Number one, he gives glory to God to begin with. He gives glory to God in verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. He begins by giving honor and glory to God. You see these same themes that come out of this prayer in the Lord's Prayer. We say it every week here. You may use it in your devotional life or in other settings. But you remember when he starts the prayer, he says, Hallowed, hallowed be thy name. It's giving honor and glory, respect and reverence to God. The model is that's how we should all begin when we're praying is to give honor and glory to God. Then he goes on in the second verse, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that you may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus is talking about eternal life. Jesus is saying eternal life starts now. For the disciples, when they're recognizing this relationship with God and for you and me, eternal life is this, he says, to know the one true God. Often when we think about eternal life, we think about life after death or somehow somewhere in the future eternal life will begin But John is saying a very different thing. He hears Jesus here and records it for us that Jesus is saying to know God is to know eternal life. 
And so if you know the Son, you know the Father, He's already said. So eternal life has begun for you. Doing God's will, living in harmony with God, every moment begins now for those who are believers. This area of study in theology is known as eschatology. It's looking to the future. It comes from a Greek word, eschaton, or eschatos, which means end. So in theology, eschatology focuses on the end time or the last things. So it's looking toward the future. Much of eschatology that we hear today that gets popularized is apocalyptic. It's looking toward the end time, but if it's apocalyptic eschatology, it's usually predicting a timeline and an end date that is in coming now. It's imminent or impending, usually coming in the lifetime of the person who's talking about it. You find examples of this in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the book of Daniel, in the Christian Scriptures, in the book of Revelation. If you read through those, you realize that often those who are thinking this way use pretty bizarre images and lots of symbols that are hard to discern exactly what they're talking about. Often they do predict a certain time, a certain date when the world is going to end. I just have to say, so far, they have always been wrong. Jesus says in the Scriptures, nobody knows, and yet people continue to act like, oh, I know, I can tell you, just look at the news, I'll explain it to you, it's happening, and they'll give you a date. That's one kind of eschatology. John has a very different eschatology than apocalyptic. That's not at all how John understands what Jesus is saying or what God is revealing to us in the person of Jesus. John writes what theologians call realized eschatology, which is one that is happening now and yet will be fulfilled even more so in the future. I think that's what we hear in that third verse we read, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. You'll remember, if you've been following along, as we've been reading through these chapters in John, that Jesus has gone over and over this with the disciples when they say, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't know what the way. Jesus says, yes, you do. I am the way. If you know the Son, you know the Father. And more than that, I'm going to go away, but the Father's going to send you another advocate or counselor or comforter that will remind you of everything, of all the truth I have taught to you. And this presence of God, this Holy Spirit, will be with you always and forever. As John hears Jesus talking about the future or the end times or His presence with them ending, John understands what God is revealing is that God's love is present for each and every one of us right now. God's love is available to us now. Then Jesus begins to talk again about glory, 
or the light of God or the revelation of God. Then he comes to the third theme here. Jesus prays for protection or help from God. It comes at the very end there. If you're following along in your Bible, skip down to verse 11. Jesus says, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me. It's a prayer for protection of, of others. It's a prayer that we would call intercessory prayer. Actually, the second theme and this third theme are both forms of intercessory prayer or prayer for others or prayer for the good of others. In this prayer, Jesus is assuming eternal life is available to all of us. And so is God's protection through God's presence with us. It's happening now, Jesus says. So we pray for one another. We have an official intercessory prayer team here at the church. Some of you are on that list. Some are not, about 100 people. But we have prayer cards where you can leave a prayer concern. If you ask for that to be confidential, we keep it confidential just amongst the pastors. But if you don't ask it to be confidential, then we share that through an email every week with these people on the prayer team. So they're praying for you throughout the week. So you can do it on a card. If you're at home, you can call. There's a phone number, a prayer line. Anybody can call that anytime and leave a prayer concern. And then we'll begin to pray for you in that way as well. If you're not on that prayer team and would like to be one who prays for others, you can call the church and talk with Megan Lynn. She's in our pastoral care department. She'd be glad to tell you more about that and help you get signed up so that you could be a part of the team that's praying for other people. One way we grow in our discipleship or in our faith is through prayer. Now, often we're praying for ourselves, but another part of that is praying for others or doing intercessory prayer. Whether you're on the team or not doesn't matter so much as whether or not you have that mindset that you want good to come to others and you're willing to take some time each day to pray for another person with a need or a concern. Well, the fourth thing here, Jesus looks to the future in this prayer. The same place where we're reading in that last verse where Jesus prays, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me. He goes on to say, so that they may be one as we are one. So the disciples have had this experience with Jesus and he's been talking to them about this intimate relationship with God and how he's personally and intimately connected to God. And remember a week or so ago, he also said, and you're a part of that. That as you receive the love of God, you become part of that intimate relationship of love. You're as close to God as your own breath. You live and move and have your being in God, the Scripture says. Well, Jesus is talking about the future here. Jesus believes that his disciples can live in unity, that they can live in a sense of harmony together. Now, if you follow the news about the United Methodist Church, you might think we're failing that right now. There are some sharp disagreements amongst the larger body of faith called United Methodists. But often I think we make the mistake, we, we mistake conformity for unity. If you read through the scriptures, you find pretty quickly that they're not all saying the same thing. 
Lots of different experiences reported in the Scriptures of how people have experienced God. If you look at the early church, particularly you're reading through the book of Acts, you find there's some sharp disagreements there. They didn't all conform to a single belief or even a single set of beliefs. They're all responding to their own experience with God through Christ. There's never been a time in the history of Christianity that we had a single orthodoxy. Oh, we had groups of people gather and vote and say, we believe this. We have some of those summaries of faith in the back of our hymnal. But there were always other experiences, always dissenters saying, well, there's also this experience of God as well. Well, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, thought about this quite a bit. He wrote about this idea of all agreeing or having the same opinion or having a single orthodox belief. Let me read you a few things he said. At one point he asked, is your heart right as my heart is with you? I ask no further question. If it be, give me your hand for opinions or terms. Let us not destroy the work of God. Do you love and serve God? It is enough. I give you the right hand of fellowship. Or perhaps this, this might be his most blunt statement on the place of orthodoxy within the Christian life. He says, orthodoxy, I say, or right opinion, is at best a very slender part of religion, if any part of it at all. Or he says this about the Methodists. It is the glory of the people called Methodist that they condemn none for their opinions. They think and let think and insist upon nothing but faith working by love. Faith working by love. It's what we would call orthopraxy or right practice, or right living, saying that if we're living in love, if we're embodying love in the ways we live, that's the important thing. We may differ in our opinions, but are we living a life that exudes the love of God as we've come to know it in Christ? If you read the story of the early church in Acts, you know that Peter and Paul did not agree on how to express what they had experienced with Christ and who they were supposed to be working with and what they needed to be emphasizing. They did not decide to go this way or that way. What they decided was that unity was each fulfilling their own call. Peter did his thing. Paul did his thing. The church decided both were called of God and both were representing this emerging Christian movement. It's to live faith through love. Wesley helps us there. It's what John is saying in this passage. Seniors, you are here graduating today. I'm telling you, change is a part of life. But as Christians, we also think God is doing a new thing. That God is working in our lives to bring about a new thing. The key for you all and for all of us as we move forward is to discern that call upon our lives and then to live it out in the way we experience God calling us in Christ. Discerning how God is leading us is a powerful experience of the faith. 
And sometimes it leads us in unexpected directions and into new territory that we're not expecting. And yet it's all always if God is leading us territory where we can express love and experience the fullness of love being expressed for us so as these seniors go forward and look to the future as all of us look to the future it's important to remember God is with you and God is working for your good and you can discern the way forward by praying with Jesus, by staying in the conversation. That's important that all of us remember that, to stay in the conversation, believing that God will lead us and guide us to abundant life, the life God intends for all of us to experience. May it be so for these graduating seniors as well as for each and every one of us. Amen, and thanks be to God.